Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, Jamie Hobbs is back and he regales us with thrilling tales of being heckled while rock-hopping his sleep-deprived body through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia in this year's uh, rendition of the Hellgate 100K+. Present for our recording session was uh, Mr. Hobbs's crew, um, one silent Laura Ruckerth, one mostly silent Jeff Green, a um, participatory Ron Hirkins Jr., photographer, videographer, extreme, and um, another little snoring doggy that you'll hear occasionally um, throughout the episode. Um, check the show notes for a beautiful picture of um, one of Jamie's co-hosts. In addition to secrets for choosing the perfect footwear and techniques for hurtling over logs in the middle of the night, Jamie also treats astute listeners to what it is like having the guts and the mental resolve to stick to a plan and reach a goal, even if you didn't really make a great plan and you sort of want to change your goal. With that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of Rochester, New York runners. You got those things uh, yeah, keep worked going. out We're well good. enough? We're right. good to go, man. Okay. Then let's start with, uh, like, uh, what... What is Hellgate? How about yeah, that? how about you start? You had a nice outline for this whole thing. You like, yeah, I really planned everything. I scripted all my jokes. And, you know, planned all my lines. So Hellgate, Hellgate uh, is claimed to be a hundred k race, um, which would be sixty two. I think it's well known to be sixty six or so, and that's what it worked out to be. People joke that it's sixty six point six to go with the Hell theme. Um, and it's supposed to be 11,000 or so feet of gain and loss, but it's actually probably between 12 and 13,000. So the advertising is a little bit off and I think that fits with, um, the, the character of the race, the, I don't think you can talk about Hellgate without talking about the race director. Yeah. Everything was a little off. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to understand Hellgate, you have to understand Dr. David Horton, the race director, who's kind of a legend in ultra running and a bit of a cult of personality, maybe. Um, and uh, I guess he's a bit of a sadist, and I think that's a characteristic that maybe some of these um, Virginia races have. Yeah, I think he is one of those people that really believe in that saying, like, hard work is its own reward. Yeah, like, I I really think he honestly thinks that. I mean the 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 quote on the race shirt is something about the path to pleasure is always through pain. Yeah. It's a Marquis quote from de Sade. <laughs> right. And so um I guess he picks a different quote every year, but that that quote seemed fitting. Um and so I think he likes the idea that he'll call it a, a 62 mile race. And he'll say it's 11,000 feet, but you're going to go out there and find out that it's a little bit harder than that. It's yeah, a little bit and, longer, a little bit harder. And his big thing is like, so what? So yeah. what if it's a little bit harder? Toughen up longer? and, and yeah. do it. 
So, um, that's what you know going into it, signing up. The other key factor is that uh, it makes the race unique is it starts at 12.01 a.m. So, it starts at, at midnight, and you have to plan for And it's December, so you have to assume you're going to be running yeah. uh, seven hours or so in the dark up and down mountains in Virginia in December. And normally that would mean freezing temperatures. They've had a lot of snow and ice and so forth. So that's the nature of the race. Yeah. And so that to me, and you also have the whole getting ready, like it's going to be cold while you're getting ready in typical years. Right. Right. So you might get down there five or 6 PM and you got six hours to be, you know, either milling about in a room full of runners trying to stay warm or being cold outside. Yeah, that's not, I mean, the the temperature outside isn't too bad for most of the pre-race because they have like a, this whole, they start the race and finish the race at this camp. So you have heated buildings um, where they serve a dinner and so forth. But yeah, I mean, they go to the finish line an hour ahead or the start line an hour ahead of time and you're going to be standing around in the cold. I mean, I think this ended up being a non-factor because right. it was warm. It was warm. Right. <laughs> So on warm years, fitting with his uh, sadistic attitude, he he's Horton is probably a little bit unsatisfied, and he calls it sissy gate, you know, um, yeah. indicating that people aren't getting the true Hellgate experience. And this was certainly, I think this was probably the warmest year on record, if not one of them. Yeah, and so uh, it was probably the ultimate. Yeah, one of Horton's one of Horton's uh, cronies was saying that it was the you know the warmest Hellgate ever. Right. So that's cool. So you got you the Northeasterner didn't get the cold home field advantage. Right. I kind of would have liked a little cold. Um, Not. I don't know how much of an advantage I would have had. I'm used to running in the cold. Haven't had much cold training this year, but I would have been perfectly fine with it. And I was. uh, Kind of looking forward to seeing some snow or ice-crusted trees and just the pretty background. But it wasn't that. It was more of a continuation of what we've been doing all year, you know, running. uh, It was a late fall race, basically. and Or just it was even a a straight-up fall race, except there were no leaves on the trees. And you ran the first seven hours in dark instead of the last seven hours. Yeah, exactly. You start in the dark and... Then you get to finish in the daylight, so. It was basically in the 50s until a little after the lights started coming out. I think the temperature starting was in the 40s. Um, mm-hmm. But most of the night was, yeah, was probably right around 50. High 40s, low 50s, and then by the end of the race, well, after the sun came up, we actually hit 70. Yeah, by but by you started in a sleeveless shirt, so. I started in a long sleeve shirt. But I shouted by a tude by, by the <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I mean it was it, warm right away. Yeah, so I that's mean, good. It, I felt cold at the starting line, but it was as soon as you got running, it was fine. So one thing we kept talking about was you were at our about we were all at about hour eighteen of our day hmm. when you started your race, right? Because we all got up six a.m. or between six and seven yeah. or whatever, right? And then we left here at nine thirty. Right. To drive down. So nine thirty AM, 
eight and a half to nine hours down to Virginia. Now pack it, pick up dinner time, right? All that stuff, and you're in, you know, hour eighteen of being awake. Yeah. So the big, the maybe the biggest factor of of having a midnight start is not the fact that it's starting in the dark, but the fact that you have to spend the full day awake before you start. Um, so you have that extra fatigue on you and that extra fatigue includes for us nine hours of driving, um, probably eight hours of actual driving time with an hour of breaks. Well, I had to stop at Sonic. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and Funkin' Donuts. Yeah. Yep. Needed coffee. So we got up at between 6 and 7, left here a little after 9.30 from Rochester and drove down there. And it's like roughly an eight-hour drive. And we got there a little after 6. Um, so I tried to rest in the car the whole way down. But you're anxious about this race. And the car is not the most comfortable place to sleep in the world. I'm not particularly good at sleeping in anywhere during the day and so i just kind of laid down and closed my eyes and figured that's about the best i could do um you get there there's a packet pickup there's a pre-race dinner there's a pre-race briefing um and there's an auction for getting people right you're auctioning off who you could drive to the start line yeah so you know the pre-race briefing mainly consists of, again, the race director, David Horton, um, and his personality leading this pre-race briefing. It mainly consists of him uh, showing off the potential prizes, raffling off a bunch of prizes, and then um, organizing rides to the start line. Um, I guess I'll spend a couple more minutes talking about David Horton. <laughs> spend this whole time talking about him, but... Uh, he really is a personality. He's been around forever in, in ultra running. He has decades of experience. I guess I just learned tonight that he's a Barkley finisher. He also apparently had the, the AT FKT and the PCT FKT at one point and probably three decades of top race results. Um, but he also is just the most like outgoing, jovial, and obnoxious person you'll ever meet. You know, he teaches at a evangelical college and he's very um, outwardly expressive about his his Christian religion. Not that he talks about it all the time, but it's just very apparent that that's part of who he is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he heckles people. He makes fun of people. He gives you a hard time. He just, so you got to square those Two aspects of his personality. And I, I almost feel like, you know, he's giving he's giving a hard time to people that he respects in some ways. Like he was giving you a hard time. Um at the start he's like, Do you think you could finish this? Right, right yeah. from the get go. As soon as I get in there, uh grab my bib, he walks up to me and asks my name. He says, Are you gonna are you gonna be able to finish this race? And I was just like, Uh, I hope so, <laughs> you know, I yeah. think so. Um <clears throat> Yeah, but at the same time, he looked at your application. He knew, you know, what you did at Laurel Highlands. He knew what you did at Twisted Branch. Yeah. So he he wasn't letting some, you know, schlep into his race. Right. As, as witnessed by me being on your crew instead <laughs> of at the start line. 
Um, and so I think I saw him giving a lot of grief to people that were in the, you know, because we were following you, we were around the top 10, but I saw him giving grief to, to everyone that came through there. It was, it was a mix of like, you know, ragging on him and giving him encouragement sort of at the same time, you know, right. like even the Frenchie, oh, absolutely. you know, he's like, Hey Frenchie, you're doing great. You know, yep. he's like, he's like, okay, now this section, you're going to be going a little bit uphill. You know, but at first he'd be like, oh, you're still in the lead. I can't believe it. Right. You know, they got mountains where you're from. No, I definitely think that um, the making fun of people and the goes hand in hand with respecting them and, and yeah. enjoying. That's just part of the way he mm-hmm. interacts with people and enjoys a race, you know, yeah. he likes giving people a hard time. Um, after I checked in and got my bib and he said that to me about whether or not I'd be able to finish, you know, when I checked in at the start again, to let him know that I actually made it to the start and was going to start, you know, I checked in and I said, I'm Jamie Hobbs. And the first thing he says, Oh, you got a girl's name, uh, <laughs> you know, which is yeah. like, okay, whatever, dude. Um, <laughs> first of what, 20 times yeah. That day? yeah. 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 <laughs> he couldn't leave that one alone. So, uh, you know, and then you see him at every aid station, at least through the first, I guess through the first seven aid stations almost, he was just following the top, the top runners. We can talk about how the race played out, but he must have been moving from aid station to aid station just to see the the front of the pack. And then, uh, I guess I didn't see him after seven, but he was at the finish then again. But you know, mm-hmm. he would make comments as I came through and yep. give me a hard time. Yep, and uh, what was the other saying that he kept saying all day? Uh, well, after I had moved out of the top ten, yeah, <laughs> he liked to refer to me as the first loser. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a one thing that you did the pre-race briefing was go over the fact that there are these fancy prizes for the top ten. Um, you know, he gets up there and puts on a show, in which he shows off the the jackets you get for the top ten. And uh, what everybody else gets just for finishing under 18 hours. Um, and various other prizes that obviously there's a special prize for first place. Um, and he does a raffle and yep. just puts on show. But, but he was calling you the first loser. Right. So then, 11th place is going to be first loser, basically. Yep. So the one aid station you were running through and, um, you know, you came through at six, seven, eight, nine, you know, ten. We're sort of all together around eight, seven. Yeah. And he was like, catch him. Don't let him win. Make him in the first loser. You know, yep. and he was like, but he's like encouraging number 11. And he's like, oh, now you're going to be the first loser. But right. you pulled out of that aid station just in time to leave in 10th. That's right. So he gave that kid some grief. And he was like, oh, now you're the first loser. It's a little too slow in the aid stations. That was at uh, what? Jennings Creek? Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. No, there's at the horse farm. Yeah. Bear Wallow. Uh, the horse farm. Yeah. It's when we were in the huge parking lot. That's when he yeah. came in, he got it's his pacer. I think that's why he waited. So you passed him so he can grab his pacer. Okay. <laughs> Strategic move that didn't quite pay off for him. All right. Well, yeah. So anyways, so you, um, you weren't able to finish the race. You had a girl's name and you were pretty much going to be the first loser. Yeah, those are the things flying at me. So you're feeling good going in. But then, then, you know, you had the four of us going, no way, no way, don't listen to David Horton. What's he know? Right. I wasn't, I mean, (laughs) you know, when Horton said, are you going to be able to finish this race and from the start, 
I kind of came down knowing that I had the pos- I had the potential to, f- to finish in the top ten. You know, people are talking about top five and and winning and telling me that encouraging me to do that, but I knew that was like a long shot. You know, to go on go down to this race <laughs> on other people's home turf, yeah, with a bunch of strong runners. The idea that I was going to be able to come out in the top five was a little bit arrogant. And so I, I knew that was a long shot. And so my, my real goals were, were top 10. Um, and I would have liked to have been closer to 12 hours, but I was figuring 13 hours was a, a good reasonable goal from looking at past finishing times that I knew I could break. Um, the question was just by how much. And so that was kind of what I, I thought going into it and, um. <laughs> this is the second big race this year too that you went to that you had no knowledge of the course other than reading race reports right true so last one was Laurel oh third Zane Gray too oh Zane Gray yeah Zane Gray Laurel and then the only one I knew so I've done three I've done four um, longish ultras this year longish yeah 50 mile plus basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, um, no hundreds, but I've, uh, did a 50 mile in Arizona, um, Laurel, which is 70 twisted branch, which is hundred K plus. And then yeah. this, which is hundred K plus, um, I all like of them we... have been point to point. This is, this is intentional. All of yeah. them have been point to point. Um, all of them have been tough have a reputation for being tough races, but not silly, you know, real races. And, um, you know, Twisted Branch was nice because I got to to know the course ahead of time, but all the others have had to kind of just figure yeah. out. Yeah, but I think to, to Ron's point, you're going into this race going, eh, you know, it's not my home turf, but I'm still going to run top 10. That's, that's pretty that's good. That's a guess, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that's, good, that was my goal. Right, and I, so you've done recount enough to make you feel like that's possible. Right. So, you, so you, you're at starting line. You're going, I'm <laughs> going to run. I'll be done about 1 p.m., right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So, I mean, my, my real goal was to go closer to 12 hours. I would like to do 12 hours, but I knew that that was like a reach. So 13 was seemed like a more reasonable goal. One one p.m. finish. Um, the race, the Virginia Mountains are like a little different than what we have here. You know, I run down the Bristol Hills and run um, at Bristol Mountain down those trails, and you get thousand foot climbs. But down in Virginia, you can get two thousand foot climbs or fifteen hundred foot climbs. So you run the first three or four miles of the, the course on relatively flat trail. There's a, there is a good gain in the beginning and then down. And then you hit a, a dirt road that starts climbing uh, a solid 1,500-foot climb the next three or four miles up to the first time that I see you guys. Um, 
Yeah, that was fun. We drove up that climb. Oh, did you really? You drive up that same road or did you drive a yep. different route? We drove up that same road. Okay. So as we're driving up the road, like Ron goes, look up there, you know, and we look and there's lights up there. And I'm like, what? Are those? And he's like, those are cars. Yeah. And uh-huh. we Wait, first thought they were like, runners because like, there's no way we're driving up that high because it just looked like you guys were running on a ridge. Yeah. And then we saw them switch backing up. I'm like, holy crap. Those are cars. Way it's like a fifteen hundred two thousand foot wall. Way up there. Right. right. So that was pretty neat. I guess I'll I'll just preface what what the course looks like or what it's made up of a little bit before we start talking about how the race plays out since we're now starting to talk about where it goes. It's a mix of um single track, double track and dirt road in the mountains, in the Blue Ridge Mountains down in Virginia. Um, the, it's a pretty good mix there are, in the beginning, there are a bunch of climbs that are on dirt road that are long, you know, between a thousand and 2000 foot climbs, um, just winding up dirt road, probably less than 10% gain. So you're just kind of a steady grind. Um, there's a bunch of sections that are grassy double track or fire road that are either flat or up and down. And then there's a bunch of single track and, um, it's probably a mix of a third of each, probably dirt road, um, grassy double track and single track. And the single track is problematic because it's December. So all the trees are, all the leaves are off the trees and it's on top of, of rocks. So anytime you're on single track, you know that you have no idea what you're running on. It's leaves and there are a lot of rocks and it varies. Sometimes it's, there's nothing under it and you can actually motor pretty well. But all of a sudden you'll start to notice peeking out around you, there's a bunch of little rocks, you know, in the ground peeking out of the, the leaves and you realize there's going to be a whole bunch of rocks under these leaves now. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you have to kind of stumble around for a little while. Is it sort of like when you're going like up a um, a, a creek in the Adirondacks where, you know, this is the trail, but it's also a stream and it's all rocks inside the stream? There are only a few sections that were like um, where I felt like the trail was just following a, a washed out stream or something like that. A lot of times it's it really is a trail. It's just a very rocky trail. Um and there are a bunch of loose rocks, and they're underneath a bed of, of leaves, so you can't see it. All right. And so you picked the you picked the perfect footwear for this. Trail, right? <laughs> yeah. So the the big disaster of this race was. I I mean you know I'm just asking that you. you know. No, I I was my footwear. I I picked the absolutely wrong footwear. I in preparation for this race. Maybe we could talk about my preparation. In general, but my preparation for this race was... We've already passed preparation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sort, of like, sort of like what you did. <laughs> um, I uh, figured it was going to be a winter race. I figured there are a bunch of stream crossings from what I read. I better have a pair of, of good shoes for technical terrain and preferably a pair of Gore-Tex shoes because I like Gore-Tex shoes in the wintertime. They keep me a little warmer, a little drier. It's December. I've read about snow and ice on this course. So I bought a pair. 
of new shoes for that purpose. And I just didn't think that much about what I would need if it was going to be a warm day. And I retired after, after Twisted Branch, I retired the pair of Solomons that I was really liking for longer runs. Um, and so I had no, I guess I got to the race the week before the race and realized it was going to be warm. And I realized I had no warm weather shoes. Um, for really long trail runs. And so I brought um, two pairs of absolutely minimalist uh, shoes for this race. One is a pair of Montreal Rogue Racers, which is advertised as a, a racing flat for, those for who, trails. For those who crave minimalism. <laughs> for those who crave minimalism. And a pair of Nike Terra Kigers, which are also made to do a little bit more mileage in them, but they have no rock shield. They are a pretty low profile minimalist shoe. You brought, you brought two shoes from the buttery West coast. Trails. That's right. Exactly. They would have been <laughs> fine if we were running in Oregon on dirt single track. Um, I also brought a pair of road shoes <laughs> <laughs> for that, uh, ever popular end section, right? The end road section. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, needless to say, um, this didn't work out well on rocky single track through a bed of leaves where you can't see what you're stepping on. So every time you stepped on a rock or kicked a rock, it was a surprise. And uh, my feet were definitely sore by mile 20 or so and then just got worse and worse. I think that that's probably a decision that or a mistake that actually cost me time. I, I think I actually like spent some time wallowing in how much my feet hurt that I would have been running, um, at least taking a few minutes off. I don't think it would have been an hour difference or anything like that, but a few minutes here and there. <sighs> okay. <laughs> So, um, so you come up, let's, let's, so we, we talked about the ridge, the super big climb up the road. Up, yeah. You, you come up there and the first thing you said to us was, I'm doing all right. A little bit warm may have came out a little bit fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> a little bit fast. The first seven were all through course record pace. Right. Yep. And you were. You were right. you were right on course record pace when you came through that aid station. Yeah. So the first three miles are are easy trail, um, and then the next four miles are just a steady gain up up a dirt road. And I just it felt easy going out with a top crew through that trail. And we hit the dirt road. I let them go ahead, and I just kind of jogged my own pace up that that road. But it was still fast. Um, I guess I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly in terms of how to pace this race. I've had some experience in, in past ultras where I've tried to be conservative and then hoped that I could pull something out in the end and then not had another gear in the end. So I thought, well, why not try and just go a little harder in this race in the first half? figuring I'm going to die anyway and, and suffer in the second half anyway. Just just try to push that, that pace, not unreasonably, but 
but push it a little bit. And so I, I figured that in the first sections that relatively smooth running, I'd just kind of see how that front end of the pack felt and looked. And, you know, I knew coming up that hill, this is not a sustainable pace. This is not, this is a marathon pace. This is a trail marathon pace or a trail 50K pace. This is not a trail 100K pace, particularly not a 100 trail, really hard trail 100K pace. But I figured we'd get to the top of the climb and I'd just kind of ease it back a little bit and sort it out then. I wasn't going to do any long-term lasting damage or just keep on hammering until I blew up. I'd, I'd, I'd sort it out after that. So, you know, I do think ultimately it didn't work out to be the best race strategy. And if I had it to do over again, I probably would have come out a little bit easier through there but i don't think it ended up i think mattering too much you you looked fine to us i mean you you came up you look like everything was going swimmingly (laughs) you know you're out you're out the door in seventh place on the course record pace obviously you weren't going for the course record but right i you know i i was thinking you're running for seven hours in the dark if you don't stay with that lead pack how the hell are you ever going to find them yeah you know is there just going to be are, are they gone? Where Where are they? All right. All right. So, and that's, I mean, that's the way it felt. As soon as we hit that dirt road, I maintained contact with the guy who was in front of me for most of the way up the road, but I, I didn't see the rest of them, except, you know, there are parts where it switches back a few times and you, you see them. But hmm. basically once you, someone disappears a couple hundred yards away, you're never going to see him again. Yep. You don't see him at all. And aside from the Frenchman, I think everybody in front of him had done Hellgate before. Yeah. I think everybody was familiar with the trail. Yeah. Except for you. Yeah. The locals. <clears throat> and the people behind me, too, who ended up, the, the pack <clears throat> of three or four people who ended up catching me were all well mm-hmm. familiar with the trail. Yep. So. So um, then we go off into the wilderness, and we don't see you for an aid station, right? Right. So from that, it's that first aid, or the first time I see you is about seven point something miles, right? Next time I see you is twenty something yep. miles. Yeah. So you had thirteen. You had an aid station in between there, and at that time you had um, two. All right. You had two water bottles. Yeah. Right, so you're just you're just cruising at this point, just kind of settling in. I dropped off my that long sleeve that I started with, and now I'm running in. Oh, God, that was so gross. Tanked up. It was <laughs> <laughs> so gross. Hey, hey, you take it. You take it. No. <laughs> that's when. We, that's when. We, yeah. That's when we realized we're gonna get a bag for this right. stuff. <laughs> my stuff is gonna be sweaty uh, and gross. I don't think that. I don't know what that was. It was something. That shirt was like five times its weight. I mean, it was like a sham wow or something. <laughs> really? Because yeah. I had already taken it. I was carrying it most of the way up that hill in my hand. You threw it on top of the car. Yeah. yeah. After, was the, right. yeah. after we got after we got that first shirt, we realized we we're going to need to keep you hydrated. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, this is interesting. Now I can get my cruise perspective. <laughs> My so, clothes and so my smells. <laughs> after this, we had about a we had about a fifteen to twenty minute drive to the next aid station, okay, and then just sitting in the dark and 
for two hours. Right. And then so, getting kicked out of our wonderful parking spot. Yeah. But I was thinking, like, if this were wintertime, I mean, we're parking on single track road. That's what we were told to park on. Um, I'm thinking if this is wintertime and there's all these cars going up and down this road, if there's even a, a touch of snow or a little bit of mud, right. that road is ridiculous. Um, and the other part is all those cars are going to be idling because it would be cold out, right? We were able to turn our car off because it was warm. But I can just imagine all the crews are sitting there idling, trying to stay warm so their feet aren't freezing. And like I can just see that Aid 3 was the biggest shark show that, that I could have seen in the whole race. That was a mess. But anyways, that so, would be Aid 4, oh, right? The yeah, next one four. you saw me at? Right, right. We skipped Because you skipped, skipped three. three. Yep. So, so I four. ran down through some trail sections um, for a while. Then you have another, a second humongous climb, even bigger than the, the one up to... Where I saw you. You know, that's what Horton said to us when we were leaving. He goes, they thought that climb was bad. Next one's even worse. Right. (laughs) And so I get to aid three, which I I don't see the crew at. And Horton's there. And he says, better fuel up, Jamie. You got uh, 10 miles to go to the next one or something like that. I don't know. I said, 10 miles? Is he messing with me? Like, can't be 10 miles. There's no aid station section that I read on, on this on the blogs or the race that 10 miles between aid sections. That's what he said. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I kept running. Um, during that next section, I, in that supposedly 10 mile section, which actually worked out to be nine point something, <laughs> um, mix he, of trail. Think he knows the race. Or yeah. Something. Uh, grassy road. And then along, um, dirt road climb up to the aid station, I, uh, I don't know, not much happened, but I did hear a pack of coyotes howling out in the woods, and occasionally you can see places where you see lights along the way, and you're like, Is, are those other runners out along the ridge that I'm following? Are they people across the ridge that I'm looking that are coming my direction? What am I and looking why are, at? Why are there two of them right next <laughs> to each other? They're not moving. Um, but... Uh, time of the day the time of the morning intros you're not familiar with right yeah and you, your eyes are tired there's a bit of a wind going on so um my eyes are a bit irritated from hellgate eyes yeah there's this phenomenon <laughs> supposedly about hellgate eyes which is probably just a cold weather phenomenon because i did not experience it um but they're at least tired and irritated i guess coming down that last section of trail before you hit a dirt road to climb up to aid station four the next time i'd see you guys uh the first of the pack of people behind me caught me and we ended up hiking jogging the whole climb up to the aid station together it was me and this guy john john anderson local um it was fun to talk to him get a little bit of he had multiple years of hellgate experience get a little feedback from him talk and we ran into the next aid station together and saw you there i think that would be the where i ran in with him right so that would be aid station four i'm trying to remember yeah we both together. yeah yeah that's where that's where the drop bags were right and so he he was running without crew i guess yep. even though he's local um and i was 
blessed to have crew. So I think I got in and out of the aid station left before him and he got back up to me again after we left the aid station. And now at this point you were, you were pretty much in and out of aid stations. I mean, you had a shirt change, you had, um, the bottle swaps, we had those ready. So kind right. of like hot swapping bottles. One time you stopped to change a shirt, but you didn't stop at four either to eat anything. As far as I remember, you were no. just cruising, just cruising, just, uh, bottle changes. That's what's worked for me in races is just, um, doing most of my calories through tailwind. Um, eating minimally, maybe eating a goo here and there, stuff like that in the beginning of the race, maybe snacking a little bit more from the aid stations later in the race. I think that didn't work ideally for me here at this race. I needed a few more calories. Some of that may be the time of day and the overnight factor. I didn't know what to eat at the pre-race dinner going into it as opposed to your normal pre-race ritual. It throws everything off. So um, eventually it would catch up to me, I think, just the swapping and getting in and out. But that is that is my, my MO in a race is mm-hmm. just get in and out of these aid stations. You, if you can, if you don't need anything, grab a change of bottles and go. And if you can do that, you've saved yourself you know, whether two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, um, added up at the end of the race and it ends up being a half hour off your time or something like that, you know? Um, yeah. And at this point it's about four in the three, yeah, three thirty. Yeah. In the was morning. There three. During the, the early hours of the race, you know, I was looking at like, okay, what's 10 minute per mile pace. I just could, could, feed off that because that was just an easy measurement so if i'm looking at my watch and i've gone six miles on my watch and it's one hour and i know i'm r- roughly around 10 minute pace and that's where i stayed for the first um three four hours or so and then it started to drop off and then it became a little more complicated to figure it out where i was but it, that's at least kind of where i could see mm-hmm. it became a measurement for like what my average pace was yeah, and three thirty is about the time I started getting delusional. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's when I was like, right. okay, I'm gonna lean this car seat back. I'm putting my hat over my head, and I'm just gonna close my eyes. Yeah, and I don't care what happens. I don't, I don't care. There could be people scratching at the windows, but I'm just gonna keep my eyes closed. And I kept saying, blissfully unaware. Yeah. And as we parked in the most premium spot at that aid station to be able to like pull right out. We were on the gravel road, but they made us go up there. And Ron's like, Ron's giving me narration on what's going on outside the windows. Oh, now he's yelling at that car. Now he's yelling at that car. And I'm like, I'm not looking. I'm keeping my <laughs> eyes closed. Right. So like, I had the advantage of, of being on my feet and being mobile here well, through the night. Which well, kept I was going to say, energy I energy level high. I got to close my eyes for a half hour, which enabled me to make it through to the morning. <laughs> I think if I was running to that aid station, I would have tried to close my eyes and that would have been the end of me. Right. So I, I was still thinking like, okay, I can barely stay awake and Jamie's got nine more hours of running to go. But I had to run, which yeah. keeps you awake. Which keeps you, well, you know, there's some of these ultra runners, around. some of these ultra runners say they fall asleep on their feet, right. but I don't know. Okay. So, um, as you leave this aid station, you're in, I think eighth place. 
Maybe you're still maybe you're still in seventh. No, I'm still in seventh when I leave because I leave. Right. I'm, I come in together. Oh, you came in with him, but you left together. Right. So then and we. I left just ahead of him. He caught up to me, within a half mile. Yep. Um, and we ran together again for another half mile. All right. So. Um, the race in the first four aid stations through head force head foremost mountain is all like the highest the elevation gets you're up between 2500 and 3500 well probably up close to 4000 feet at various points from head foremost mountain which is aid station four down to the next one that i saw you guys that was jennings creek is a, a lot of downhill and you got some single track for a while and then it ends with a couple mile or a mile or so of of just steady downhill grassy like a one lane road covered with grass you can just fly down this if you have fresh legs um of course you're at about 50k at this point and so fresh legs are not not what you have they're in short short yeah. supply <laughs> right, short supply quads are starting to feel it a little bit and uh in the single track leading into that is the first time I've kind of experienced the real rocky um, single track, and I took a nice fall. Had the calf cramps that come with the fall after 20 miles into a race. And then coming down that grassy double track into the aid station, I'm like flying at like a seven minute pace. And I see this log laying across the road. It's a tree. I mean, it's basically a tree that's falling across the road. So there's also branches and the branches are broken up in front of it. And I think I have a clear path. I'm looking with my headlamp on. It's four in the morning. It's still dark. And uh, I'm like, oh, all right, no problem. I can jump it. Next thing I know, I'm flying face forward towards the, the log. I caught my toe on one of these sticks and branches that was lying in front of it and fortunately my face is going to overshoot the log and i'm going to land on it with my abdomen somewhere and i land right on my hip bone and kind of then fall over into the front downhill side of it and just that hurt a lot and i cramped up bad and during the the single track before I hit that road, I knew there were a couple people on my back starting to catch up to me. And so I knew there would also be moving down this road too. And I could hear them coming down the road behind me as I laid down there on the ground, writhing in pain. And I knew the aid station was less than like a half a mile from where I was laying. So I eventually gathered myself up, got up and ran down. But I came into that aid station a little bit chagrined you know i knew the race was getting interesting that one person had passed me and there were a couple of people breathing down my neck and now i was starting to to feel the fatigue and starting to fall and hurt myself and yeah you know, so that's that's the difference 
perhaps between like eighth place that you are running in uh-huh. and whatever place I'm running in because I would stop and step over that log. <laughs> like, like there's no question. I don't it think just it just seemed like I could just fly right over it, no problem. It's nighttime, <laughs> you know, whatever. That I think that's that's why I, I may um I may never make it to Hellgate. <laughs> so we had um thanks to thanks to Laura's expert bookkeeping, we had you. Um, in aid five at Jennings Creek at 27 miles, we had you, John Anderson came in at seventh at 518 and you came in at 527. Which so means you, he had put nine minutes on me in that, right. in that section. Right. And then Dan Spearin is the guy that left two minutes after you. So right. Dan Spearin was 529. Okay. So you were in eighth, but you guys, I mean, we had uh, five and six were at 505. Then seven was at five eighteen. You were at five twenty seven, and nine was at five twenty nine. So for us, like for all the waiting around that we do at AIDS, that was like a, an awesome twenty five minutes. We're like, there's people, there's things right. are happening, stuff's going on. Right where we were looking up, I mean, you saw the lights for a very long time because it was a huge switchback. Yeah, and we saw a light, and then all of a sudden it disappeared. I'm like, I don't yeah, know what, maybe we were just imagining it. And then we saw another light come, and it was like zipping down the trail. Yeah, that kid was flying down the trail. <laughs> and the thing was, there were people that were hiking up the trail a little bit, and there were like kids that kept running right. back and forth. So, but yeah, the the guy ahead of you, he was flying down the trail like cruising. He must have uh-huh. saw you and been like, "Look at that schmuck laying on the side of the road. I'm out of here." Right. When uh, you saw that light disappear, that was probably my light face down into the dirt and <laughs> I think that was the first thing I asked her I'm like did you fall up there <laughs> yeah. yes <laughs> and uh, the kids hiking up the trail yeah as I got down after that fall like another mile down or another half mile down I started to encounter just like college kids just like hanging out in the yep. trees on the side of the trail like cheering people and stuff like that and that was the first time I guess I had people outside the aid station cheering and uh, it was also the first time I came into an aid station with like just a a bunch of activity in the sense that there were, I, before I left the aid station, the first time I sat down at a chair and actually took a minute and before I left two more, two or three more people had come in to the point where I left, I guess I came in in eighth and when I left eight, nine ten and eleven had all arrived because horton that was the first time i heard horton say yeah you know one of you guys is going to be the first loser and i said to myself as i i left it's not going to be me yeah um which you you didn't work out that way because you have to have that attitude right you have to have that attitude and that was the one that it had a fire it had music it had a giant uh, cast iron barbecue pit uh-huh. going. Uh-huh. I mean, if you're going to hang out, that's the aid station to do it. It would have been, yeah. And that's the first time actually that you, you ate um, a peanut butter and jelly square. That right. was the first time like you first ate. First time I ate something solid. Ate something solid, yeah. And switched over to the pack. Right. Yep, hydration okay. pack. Because I knew I wasn't going to see at the next aid station. It's going to be another half marathon, 15 miles, yeah. something like that. I feel like that was the move of the night. I feel like that that was the crew move of the night, getting that pack ready. 
Yeah. <laughs> it also took us, what, 15 minutes? Yes. <laughs> Which is, I'm glad that that's what I mean. I'm glad that we started it early. It didn't it, take 15 minutes at the aid station. It was ready to go when I got there. Right. And that's what so. I was, I'm glad we started it early in anticipation because else it would have been, it would have been a shark show and you'd have been like, tick, 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 yeah. tick, tick, tick. No, it was ready to go. And I, the thing that I got sat down in the chair because I was just a little bit flustered from having fallen a couple times. And, Having and lost 7th to 8th. Did you change shoes there too? Was that the... No, no. I didn't change oh, shoes yet. Oh, you didn't yet. change shoes all the way up to 7th. Yeah. Uh, things Sorry, were not you, feeling you were great. Flustered. And I just kind of... Yeah, a little flustered. And I, I would have liked to spend a little more time there. But when three people rolled into the aid station right on my butt, I decided I better get up and better keep moving. Because I wanted to finish top 10. And I knew now I was in a race for top 10. That was the first time I heard you say your feet hurt. Okay. Yeah. So I, I mentioned it there, and they did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was not lying. <laughs> and uh, So you come out of that aid station, and it's just like a steady, I don't know how, on the, aid, on the elevation profile, it doesn't look like a whole hell of a lot, but it, it, it is just a, a steady grind uphill on a dirt road for a long time, at least at least 500 feet, probably closer to a thousand feet of climbing out of there. And then up and down, uh, to another aid station. At this point, it's getting to be early in the morning. And you, when you're on the dirt roads, I start getting passed by trucks with hunting dogs in them, howling at you and stuff like that. So they're there. You're out in the backwoods and there are hunters out there. You, the whole time through this next section, I'm with the three guys who had come in right behind me. We're all passing each other back and forth all together. We're chatting a little bit when we pass each other. I was putting in work on the uphills because I could hike and jog pretty well on the uphills and gaining or staying even with them. When we hit the trail downhills, they were gaining on me. Just I just did not feel confident running the downhills on the leaf covered technical downhills as fast as, as they did. So that all balanced out and we came into the next aid station all together as a group, the four of us. Um, but uh, they went out of there faster than I did and I never saw them again. So between eight, six, so that was at eight, six and which was non crude aid station, eight, six and eight, seven. I never saw them. Again. And yeah. age six to age seven was a really tough section. It was all trail. And that's one of the rockiest sections where I felt like it was really impossible to run. I was wearing the wrong shoes and my feet really went beyond aching to just being miserable. Um, and I, I bonked basically. I got, I got really down. I got low energy between stumbling around and hiking up the hills, I just felt like I was trudging. Um, and I guess it's a place where I realized that I, after the fact that it, at the intermediate aid station, I probably should have stopped and eaten something. At the aid five, maybe I should have taken more than one peanut butter square. Yeah, I brought I brought you three. <laughs> I brought you three and you threw two of them to the side. Yeah. Get away with those. Yep. And then I, you did take cliff blocks with you. But I maybe, did. Maybe you just didn't need them. No, somewhere in that section, but late in that section, when I realized 
I had just spent the last couple of miles struggling and then I was low energy. I thought, yeah. I've got this stuff with me. <laughs> Maybe I should eat it. <laughs> yeah, and so about to save it to the next age stage where there's gonna be more food. Right. You're reasoning with yourself at six AM in the morning after right. being up. I don't that, want I don't want cliff blocks for breakfast. <laughs> so I think part of this is is just the, the nature of the, the length of the race and mm-hmm. running that long and part of it is just the time of day and how that throws your body like normally that late in a race i have not crashed that hard mm. but now we're we're coming up on dawn and maybe my body is ready for breakfast and yeah. like you know and yeah that was so again we um we had you seventh place so sixth place was 810 mike mcgraw and then seventh place 820 8 9 10 we're all at 830 this is at eight, eight, eight seven. Eight seven. Yeah. So this is forty two and a half miles. I should say that the last time we talked about miles, you talked to eight seven. You said it was twenty seven. My watch had no. thirty one. Now we're eight, at eight, eight, eight five. five. Right. You had twenty seven, and I had yep. I had thirty one. Now we're at eight seven, and you had forty forty two was what it, it's registered at. And I had forty seven. Yeah. <laughs> It's hundred K ish. I mean, yeah. You notice how we've gone away from ish to plus. We right. just call it plus. It's never shorter. Right. <laughs> it's not ish on the negative side. Um, yeah, you came in the aid. The sun come up. Yeah. Yes. So between, would... basically, when I came into aid six, when I was coming up the hill on the dirt road into aid six, the sun was clearly coming up, and I was able to turn my headlamp off not everybody had around me the four guys that were around me hadn't but i was like front of dirt road i don't need my headlamp anymore can't and see definitely these. in that next section it was fully up can't and, see the rocks under the leaves anyway it doesn't right, matter right. <laughs> um so yeah they were so eight nine and ten all came in at eight thirty, and that's when we were all like looking around we're like oh that happened somewhere yeah along the way right those guys they were i mean they were running we together. all left right together well, the, the, last thing, time saw us. the thing was also, you know, as I kept saying, they're running with each other. They're pulling each other along yeah. and, you know, you're running by yourself. Right. This whole time, whether you, you know, spent some time hiking with John or whatever, you're running by yourself. Right. You know, so that, yeah. and you came in at 8.52. So you came in a solid 22 minutes after yeah. them, which was kind of surprising to us. But that is what they put. They all, they put those 22 minutes on me between six and seven, not between five and six. Right. So half and half that distance. But then, but then you did the right. They were all Virginia, yep. Guys, one of them had moved to Colorado from talking to them, but the other two were good friends from Virginia, and they were running the whole freaking race together. And they yep, they, met, they did they met up with the other guy, um, Colorado slash Virginia guy, and they were working all all three of them were working yeah. together. They were practically holding hands coming <laughs> coming to the aid stations, like taking turns who was going to go first into the aid station. Right. There's also another um, guy that made a big jump at that time too. He like the, we had seen him. He was after you in eight five, and then when we saw him again, he was like fifth or sixth. He was right behind Goggins. Yeah, Quinley. Yeah, Quint. Ryan Quinley. Yeah, he's seventh. Yep, he was tenth, and he, he jumped the, up no, to seventh. Right. He yeah. He came in. So maybe he passed those two guys. And he yeah, was, he was right. ten minutes ahead of them. Eight twenty. And you got, and then those three guys were at eight thirty, and then you were at eight fifty two, and somebody had come in right before you, 
and you left that. It, so you didn't rush though. You came in, you were like, I'm bonking. I need to, we got the chair. We had everything set right. up and you just sat. I came in it's a big, big parking lot. Eight, seven, which we drove right past by the and way, from in what the I, middle of the night. Okay. From what I was told that no matter how long the, the course measured before that, it was 20 miles from there. And I came in knowing I was just like low energy bonking and pretty miserable. And the, the guy jogging the path on the way out, he was going the other direction. He said, oh, you're running 11th, if you didn't know. I'm like, I, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm miserable, and uh, <laughs> everything stinks. And so I just th- knew I needed to sit down, get in calories was the main thing. Yep. And I figured I should change my shoes because my feet were just miserable. Coming through that last rocky section, I was stubbing my toe on everything and every rock I was stepping on. Those shoes, the the rogue racers are just completely <laughs> I have can't no stop laughing every time you have say have no structure to them at all. They're like the most flexible shoe in every direction. So every rock you step on on the left or the right side, it just pushes your foot that way, you know, and like you know, that just works over your foot muscles and they were my feet were just exhausted and so yeah so you got a, a full pit stop i mean you yeah did another change you shirt. guys you guys were awesome you guys ran me over some uh i want i was really craving some grilled cheese and chris you ran over and looked for it and they didn't have grilled cheese but they had quesadilla <laughs> best thing best thing in the, the quesadilla was pretty amazing so i ate a cup full of quesadilla and yeah. then we got Laura worked on your shoes. Yeah. Got the, shoes. got the Elmo shirt on you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> filled up the bag. Yep. Filled up the hydration pack. Yeah. No, like the bag. Oh. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the bag sweat. of dirty clothes. The sweat yes. bag. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We got, you had a, a full pit stop there. You took your time. Yeah. You know, instead of, instead of rushing out, trying to go catch those guys. Right. Who were already ahead of you. you? You took a good five minutes, six minutes in yeah. the aid and station. Yeah, we're not talking about like twenty minutes or something like that, but no, five I mean, minutes. Considering your other stops were thirty seconds, right? When the video's finished, you'll noticeably see the change in your face between the time how you arrived and when you left. It's yeah, it's like two different runners. You you looked completely drained in your face. Yeah. Okay. When you went back out, you are like you are now. You're just like. Yeah, radiant right. and just like happy to go. Right. Yeah, I have a picture of you sitting in the chair holding your quesadilla, and it, <laughs> it, it, it just—it is not the most flattering of shots. You were not. Yeah, were I was not, not coming good. in. I was not a happy camper when I came in, and I was fine when I left. I was like, when I obviously you, you sit in a chair forty plus miles into a race, and you get up, you're gonna be stiff and you popped out of that chair though you you popped right up oh yeah yeah okay well i know walking across that parking lot and getting out of that aid station i was not i was not like sprinting i was you know well, I was you, still... leave, you leave that aid station you go climbing uphill so right you know and so, horton's there oh you're, yeah. loving, you're, a, right. you're a loser so you're this loser. is you know i left the last time i saw horton at aid station five and uh he was talking about which one of us was going to be the loser and he, Horton he didn't see me come into the aid station, so I had that five-minute break, and then I walk over to where you have to go out of the aid station. That's where Horton was sitting. In the meantime, someone else, the next person behind us, behind me yep. had come in, and he told that person that he was the first loser, 
and then I walk over and the that person is still sitting there at the aid station dealing with stuff and now I'm ready to leave. He says, oh, wait a minute. Now you're the first loser to me, you know. Pointing to the other guy, he's like, you're not the first loser and it's yep. me. And someone else says, oh, those guys who left ahead of you didn't look very strong. You can catch them. And Horton says, not walking like that, he can't. This <laughs> <laughs> is like, yeah, whatever, Horton. <laughs> Thanks very yeah. much. Yeah, and we stayed at the car, so we didn't have any of that. Because right. else I would have been like, uh, it's 20 minutes. Yeah. Just, whatever you do, just know they're 20 minutes ahead. <laughs> right. Well, I, well, I wasn't thinking about the, yeah. the, the guys ahead of me. Ron, no. I, I was in 11th place now. And I knew the people ahead of me were a good ways ahead of me. Um, and that they, I ran with them the, through the previous section and talked to them a lot. I knew they were not in rough shape. They were strong runners and they were going to be perfectly fine. They were experienced. They've run the race before. Um, and so basically at that point when he said I'm the first loser, I kind of resigned myself to that. I, I, you know, in some sense I was like, that's, I'm just going to get okay with that. Fine. You know, I come in 11th male, first loser. It's a badge of honor in some sense. I'll just run that in. But On the other hand, awesome nano puff. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, mean, I knew that, you know, I, I still wanted to be in the top 10. And I was like, You already had a Houdini jacket. You if, don't need another Houdini jacket. Right. Exactly. Those are the options. So I'm like, Well, let's just. Do the best I can. Try and hang in there. Anything can happen. This is a really long race. And if there are 10 people in front of me, if one of them doesn't blow up, that'd be amazing. You know? Now, did you have the it's dawn, it's a new day, it's a new race kind of thing? Like the sun is up. I feel like this is just starting again. The, to some extent. And then the problem is like I had that dawn experience right around the time that the trail got to be its worst right you know and least runnable uh and so and where, where i was bonking in terms of energy so right. it was in that previous section and no you know to some extent i was like oh it's nice that it's i can see and i can run at the same the other factors just yeah. balance it out and it made it negative i think the, no. the the thing mainly my running was dependent on on the train at that point you leave that aid station and it's a, a solid hike, you know, another 500 plus foot gain on trail. But then once you got up there, it then was another five miles or so of just pretty smooth running, you know, like gradual uphills, gradual downhills, mm -hmm. um, relatively clear single track. And that was just great. That would, if you could find any flat section, I could just hammer the flat sections just, great and so that gave me a lot of confidence and that was and so so one more before we march off into yeah. the day and leave aid seven what about the um um like the relief did you have a relief of not having to follow a headlamp was that like a thing for you because i when i'm running with a headlamp my eyes just get tired uh-huh not noticeably i mean yes it was nice just to be able to see and turn it but off. it did it didn't really make a difference I to you i don't know that it I, I thought about it or it made me feel emotionally any different or, or relieved or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't like cry or anything. <laughs> I just, 
Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of more relieved than anything else. Yeah. I don't like sing a sonnet or write an ode or nothing. Um, all right. So then you're marching uphill out of eight, seven, you're in 11th place. You're doing kind of the Charlie Brown head slump now, but you're going to, you're going to tough it out. As soon as we get to the flat on the top of that, that climb, I, I fall again. This time I fall randomly and just like land on my kneecap and it hurts a lot. Um, and I hear people behind me laughing, laughing at you. No, like cheering about getting to the top of the hill. I think, Oh, there's that guy right behind me in 11th (laughs) place and I'm on the ground and I'm going to get passed again. But I got up and I never saw those people again. And there are a lot of sections of this next section where you're just running along flat along the ridge on single track ridge or just like a, a path cut along the side of the hill where it swoops in and out of the hill and you have kind of an opportunity to look back before you cross over and I never saw anybody again so I started to get confident after a few more miles like that that maybe they're not right on my ass um, and eventually I start climbing into the the next aid station that I see you at, aid station eight, which is that bridge where we go yep. right under the bridge, right? Bob, Boblet's Gap. Yeah, Boblet's Gap. Which is 49.5 or, um, let's see, 13 miles from the finish. Yeah. And I had, that's, that, that section measured about right, but I'm in the 50, I'm definitely in the 50s Yep. on my watch by now. So at, at this point. Um, I get greeted by Ron. Yep. Ron, Ron was going adventuring down yep. the trails. Um, Delivering you good news. Yeah, yeah. Ron, Ron was oh so excited to run down the trail and tell you. Yeah. Um, but at that point, like, um, there's been this Frenchman that's been on course record pace the whole time, right? right? Leaving aid seven, he was um, he was on course record pace seven fifteen. Seven fifteen was the course record out of that aid station. He was ahead the whole time. Okay. Up until that aid station, he had got lost. Huh. Trying to cross that road. So when you cross the road into seven and you got to like scramble straight up the side of the road to get onto the trail. Okay. He didn't see that scramble. Like okay. he was wandering around the road and somebody saw him. Okay. So he lost like 10 to 15 minutes. And wow. he was running so fast that the aid station wouldn't have, didn't even exist. Yeah. It wouldn't <laughs> have been ready at one point. So he, um, he at this point though, he had dropped a little bit off of course record pace so he was he was doing fairly well and then he sort of faded a little bit and it seemed like we we got his time from somebody there but we didn't get the times of two and three and they only noted his time because they were tracking his course record splits for horton okay so um i think the first one we saw was goggins yeah yep and goggins came in at 922 so this is right so this is how quick it i mean it was 922 929. So we're at 930. We've seen two people come through. The sixth place kid came through and he dropped at that aid station. And that's yeah. the good news that Ron brought you, right? Right. So I'm coming in and Ron says, you know, I got good news for you. And I'm like starting to run. I'm, I'm chugging up this hill. And I'm like, what? And I kind of knew there wasn't going to be any, what, what could be good news other than like I'm back in 10th place, right? Like what? Good like news. You have... Twizzlers for me or something? <laughs> like, something I care about. It's not a good thing. But at the same time, I, we didn't crash your car. <laughs> like, 
there's only so much so excited i can get about anything and i'm afraid that like ron's i may not have reacted we got you a pair of mutants <laughs> it was very good news and it totally lifted me and changed the race but like at the same time I, like i'm exhausted you know uh-huh. it's now 50 plus miles into this race <laughs> yep but now yeah. you got a half marathon to hold right. on to 10th place right greeted you like a quarter mile half mile away from the eight yeah. stations while i'm running uphill <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so um, no that was really that was great news it, it totally changed um so we had so you come into the station and again you take a you take a little bit of time. I sit down. Yep. Yeah. Not a lot of time, but, but again, I figured I'd eat a little bit more. Yep. And I did eat a couple more quesadilla squares. Yep. Now the guy that had dropped, he was fine. He but he had walked up that whole climb, the climb that you ran. He yeah. walked that up, and he said to his dad, "He's like, I just don't feel like walking another thirteen miles." Yeah. So he just he just mailed it in because he didn't want to walk it, basically. Right. Which is, as someone pointed out to me, one of you guys afterwards, like, it wasn't just a matter of him deciding he was going to drop, you know, and therefore quitting and not being as tough. If he had, if he had stayed in it, whatever his decision had been, I probably would have caught him because walking. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, exactly. Know, I could have caught him. So that made me feel a little bit better. It wasn't just a matter of dumb luck of someone being wimpy ahead of me. It was, it was just a matter of someone not pacing their race at a at a pace that could sustain on that day, that given day. Yep, you I could ask. Classify that guy as as wimpy because he was the dude who he was second at Grindstone. Yeah, two miles the wrong way. It just wasn't his day. On the wrong side of it. Oh really? Still finished Grindstone. Yeah, he finished fifteenth at Grindstone instead of second. Okay. After going, you know, four miles extra. Um, oh no. Yeah, and Jeff and I debated whether or not you had to run faster than the people in front of you, or if they had to run slower than you. And I basically said you just have to keep your pace. Right. And Jeff did not agree with me, so it was well, a that, little. That long. was sort of my thinking, though leaving aid station seven was like all i have to do is just maintain a, a good race effort yep and hopefully something will will fall into place yep. you just had to keep running your race at your pace that's, um that's it and so i got to aid station eight learned the news that that's basically what had happened but i knew you know some i think laura might have said you got 10th place in the bag or i don't know who said that something like that i was like no it's not in the bag you know You're not right. like it was ridiculous. Well, no. what we what we you had know. said is you got tenth place. You just got to right. hold on to it now. Yeah, you're back in tenth place. Right. And I knew. Well, I haven't seen eleventh place because you were the whole time through this. At one part, he was right were, on my butt. At one part, in all of your darkest times, at one part, you did ask the question: Does anybody ahead of me look like they're going to drop? <laughs> like, and it was passing, and we were all like, "Whatever, just keep running." But at one of the aid stations, I was trying to remember which one. You had said, "Does anybody look like they're going to drop?" Uh huh. So you were sort of kind of hoping that a little bit, right? And you had uh-huh. said, "Like it's probably at aid station seven, that would be the place that I would <laughs> yeah. be starting to think about that." Yeah. So you came into that aid station at ten sixteen. We had good news that you were in tenth. Uh huh. Um, we did not. We were not able to tell you that at ten twenty one. Uh-huh. 11th place came in right behind right. you and she and was, was looking in, real strong yes she was looking real strong she ran up that hill 
Yeah. And she she had Terminator sunglasses on the whole I ran deal. up the hill too, but I, I have this feeling that she ran up the hill looking she, a little bit stronger than she, I ran. She I looked good looked. doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So we, for the first time in the whole race, we actually saw a girl chasing. Um, because we were following you so close in the top 10, we had never seen any of them. We knew right. they were in the race. Right. We were we were told. Right. But we had never seen any of them. <laughs> So now, so, girl comes running up the hill behind you with a half marathon left. Okay. Looking strong. So I leave aid station eight, and it's this really nice downhill. First, oh, and 12th place, which is 10th place you're competing with, was at 1023, so only seven minutes behind you. Right. And he's the guy that had a pacer running with him. Okay. So leaving aid eight, it's downhill on first on broken up dirt road it's all washed out in places there's rivets and you kind of have to jump back and forth across this um, crevasse down the middle of the road and there's rocks and you gotta watch out and then you get emptied out onto a, a more or less real dirt road and you can just fly down this dirt road winding down through the mountains um and i knew from reading about it and from what i've been told by everybody that this section was going to be long you know the the aid station said it was six but the things that I read said it was eight. And so I, you run down the dirt road and you've already taken up two or three miles before you even hit the trail that goes off the road. And then you have three significant ups and downs, three significant climbs and downs on trail. And all those climbs are just ridiculously slow because they're just single track climbs over rocky leaf covered ground and uneven and you have 60 miles, 50 plus miles on your legs. Um, so I was running really fast down the dirt road and then it just became a total grind in the second half of that thing. And I hear, I, I'm the whole time, I'm just thinking about is number, I don't know what you guys know. Yeah. And I have no idea. I'm like, is the guy, is that guy from aid station seven? was there at the same time as me at station seven is he on my butt is he gonna try to fight for 10th position and that's all i'm thinking about and every time i get to a point climbing up one of those hills where i can look back i'm looking back over my over my shoulder and I'm, you know i'm hurting it's not easy moving forward at that point and so like if i can't see somebody great i can kind of like rain it back a little bit and I'm trying to fight with myself to, <laughs> to put that effort in to not take that attitude but I can't help but just keep looking back and seeing nobody there and saying okay well why push so hard and I stop in one little stream gully at one point and one of those dips and I fill my hat up with water put it over my head because it's now starting to get warm and I hear noise behind me as I do that and I look back and it takes I just get a, a glimpse and immediately realize that it's a woman and the first thought that goes through my head is not you're about to get passed but it doesn't matter you know <laughs> you're competing for top 10 of the men that's a woman it doesn't matter at all and she's running a completely different race. exactly um <laughs> And that was just a feeling of relief. And so I kept going. And then I had to double check when I could actually get a better look. I was like, yes, that's definitely not a man. And I felt relieved. And I just kind of am 
my thought was not, oh, I'm going to get passed. But my thought was, when this woman passes me, I can find out what she knows about where the next man is. <laughs> it doesn't matter that she's going to pass me. She's a source of information. Um, and that's exactly what happened. You know, it took a little, a few more minutes to unfold. But when she eventually caught me, I said, you know, when did you pass the last guy? And she said, it was a long time ago. Um, apparently it was before the last aid station. She said, you know, I think he's a ways back. So, okay, good. I'm 10th. I want to hang on to that. And she said, yeah, I'm first for women. I want to hang on to that too. And we kind of like ran down the long last downhill into the aid station more or less together she was right ahead of me into aid 10 aid 9 yep aid 9 aid, aid 9 she was two minutes two ahead minutes of ahead of me yeah but i could see her the whole most of the whole way yep because it was a long straight downhill yeah and you two were at maybe she had just went under the gate to head to the trail just as you came in right you know so she was like right there with you and I wanted to stop and take it easy at that aid station, but you guys were like, no, you don't know, you don't have a lot of time to play with, you don't yep. know what's going on. And you were right. And so I stopped for just a, maybe, I don't know what it was, but it felt like sitting down for 30 seconds maybe in a chair. Back to the bottles, no shirt. Yeah, stripped off my shirt and pack yep. and said. Took off the shirt. I knew all I wanted. at Hellgate. It was warm. And I didn't want anything on me. And all I wanted was cold water. I was sick of sugar water. And, uh, ice hat. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I loaded my hat. And it turned out to be too much ice. They loaded my hat. I could barely get the hat on. And they so giggled at you. They're like, ice in your hat? Yeah. This is Hellgate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would have been perfect if it was like four cubes, but it was like, full i couldn't even get the hat on so i eventually just dumped it out and left with you know left a couple of like cubes in there so the finish is they had ding-dongs <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't notice any ding-dongs they had ding-dongs chocolate covered twinkies <laughs> that's what she said there was a big hit last time so we got them again so the last six miles of hellgate just to to rub it in after you've gone through this really grinding single track section is what they call three miles of, of uphill on dirt road and three miles of downhill. It turns out that that three miles of uphill was actually more like two and a half. First time I came up short in any section and that was totally welcome, uh, <laughs> but it's just a long grinding dirt road uphill, not, you know, it's close to, close to traffic there's a gate at either end and so it's it's uh maybe unmaintained dirt road but it's still a, a road and you can just keep a steady hike if you have the energy i think if you're fresh legs it would totally be a runnable incline but i tried to make good time going up it, and i tried a couple sections thinking i'd, I'd run for 30 seconds or run for a minute and alternate and even just running for 30 seconds uh my heart rate was just getting out of control it was just impossible to maintain but by the top of it i was within uh close eyesight of the the woman she was like maybe 100 yards ahead of me yeah i could see her 
you cross the Blue Ridge Parkway, I guess, at the top. Mm-hmm. And when she ducked underneath the gate at the top, I was within 100 or 50 yards of her. She got a high five from the guy who was checking numbers at the top. I think they, he pulled something out of a cooler for her. I was like, either he's filling her water bottle or he gave her like a, a popsicle or something like that. I'm like, and I saw that and I'm like, oh, maybe there's going to be a treat for me up there. <laughs> he didn't even acknowledge me when I came up. I had uh, to say hi to him before he like, yeah. he's like, hey. Her name was uh, her Bethany? name was Bethany Patterson, yeah, yeah. Bethany, and she was number one hundred and one. So she was she seated was number one for women. Easily the highest, um, easily the highest number though in the top ten, other than the winner who was number ninety six. Well, the women started at one on their seat. Yeah, one hundred and one. Yeah, yep. she so she was first seated for women. Um, you start down the downhill, and the, oh, this whole way up, you know, I'm looking the whole way just looking for the next guy and trying to hike as fast as I can trying to jog where I can but I really can't jog for more than 30 seconds Uh, most of the time it was 15 or 20 seconds here or there and mostly just hiking you cross and it was only two and a half miles I was like really are we done with the uphill like am I not gonna get am I gonna jog for a mile and then get surprised by more uphill, but it starts going down. And so I figured we're definitely going down. So I start running down and I pass her within half a mile of the top. And she seems surprised and impressed. And she's like, good job. You know, doesn't this road suck? Cause we're hopping around from it's rutted out and stuff like that at this point. And I get, a good ways ahead of her and I'm able to turn the legs over still at, you know, seven minute sub seven minute pace. Um, but my feet hurt so much and my quads hurt so much that I just, it becomes a fight to sustain it. So you're, you're walk jogging seven minute miles. So I run seven minute mile for half for three quarters of a mile from the downhill to start hitting 640 pace at one point on my watch and then i just say no all right this hurts too much i'm gonna walk and i walk for a little bit and she passes me back and then i pick it up and i start jogging again i start running and i pass her again and then i stop again and she walks by and i feel like i need to call out an excuse so i'm like (laughs) my my legs hurt or something. I don't know. I said something like, like, of course, like her legs don't hurt. Just like, yeah, fuck. Jackass, of course it hurts. And she says to me, I don't think there's anyone back there. I don't think you need to worry about it. Yeah. I was like, I look back. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. And that's, <laughs> and that's that when she got to the end, she was like, I really wanted to hold my, I really wanted to beat that 10th place guy. Yeah, exactly. So, you she's know, playing, once she's sweet she's talking me, <laughs> you don't need to worry about it. I'm going to kick your ass. Um, and to, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else, but yeah, it's a, it was a fight to the finish. Like, in terms of how much motivation I had. And my motivation was all just about the guy behind me. I was just worried about the guy behind me. And I wasn't really thinking that much about her. And I think after the fact, obviously, I I realized I should have 
just sucked it up and raced for overall position and not you know the the prizes were based on on top 10 for men and so passing her or not passing her wasn't going to matter but I, I think I would have felt better at the end of the day if I had just not kind of jog walked it in and I just sucked it up and dealt with the pain for 10 minutes yeah and ran and whether end, whether she was there or not you know right. it doesn't even matter about sure one it would it would mean I was 10th place overall and two it would just mean after the fact that I could walk away feeling like I you know it was downhill I was capable of running and I ran right and you know? she she finished two minutes ahead of you right but one of the things we sort of talked about was if you were in 10th place and she was the ninth place male, would you still raced that ninth place person because they were next to you? You know, well, that's so, a good question. If she was a ninth place male, right? I was, so so now, I was still in 10th place. So, now, you're so still it still didn't 10, matter. Right. You still get the prize, but there's that person. right. I bet I would have, I bet if I, if I had to predict what I would have done, I would have let her go the same way. I would have wimped out. Yeah. You know, yeah, sissy. <laughs> it was sissy gate after all. Right? Yeah, I but mean, it was eleventh place guy. If it was eleventh place guy, I would. I think I would have. If it was the tenth, I would have fought. Tenth place guy, and you were eleventh. That's right. different. Yeah, yeah, but you already had the jacket. You were already sizing it right. up. You could feel those nano puffs <laughs> just caressing your midsection. Right. So, you finished in tenth place. You hit both of your goals. Yeah. You hit your top ten goal. Yeah. And you hit your sub 13 hour goal at 1257. Right. So you hit both barely. your A goals. Yeah. No, barely. You did it. Yeah. Whatever. Right. And had you finished 11th, you still would have gotten the nano pup. Yeah. True. Right. Because the. There, it turns out, I didn't realize this, but there was a master's prize, and the next guy who finished after me got the. Good, thing you, prize. good thing you didn't know that. Right. We would have <laughs> still been sitting around for another hour. <laughs> but the other piece of this, it turns out that. Um, the guy that had the pacer that you were worried about finished almost 30 minutes behind you. Right. So you were looking over your shoulder for a guy that was three miles back. Yeah. Four miles back. Yeah. yeah two to three miles back, I guess. So that's another factor. I mean, I, if, if I had known that, I probably would have... I mean, the, the sections that I jogged of that uphill and even yeah. the walking pace that I was at was a... A fast walking pace. It would not have been that fast. Yeah, you would if I had known. You wouldn't have hit your sub thirteen hour right. goal. Then. I probably would have ran thirteen oh five. And, and your crew might have fell asleep in the sun at the finish line. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't know either. Too. That was the first time yeah. we left an aid station. We did not wait to see who was behind you. Yeah, we okay. we wanted it to be a surprise. So okay. we left nine right after you left nine. Okay. All we saw was this little kid. Every time somebody would come in, he's riding his bike around the corner. They're coming in. They're coming in. Yeah. So you got a police escort, uh-huh. a little kid escort. And so Horton was sitting at the finish line. Yeah. And all the college kids were hanging out at the finish line, doing college kid things, trying to surf on camping mats and stuff like that. And <laughs> and they were they were being college kids. Um, and they were talking about all their races and talking about how many thousands of miles they run and stuff. And when um, Bethany crossed the line, he was like, 10th overall and a PR for yeah. you. A PR. Would you believe that? You know, so um, she finished and then we we're like, okay, where's Jamie? Is he going to come? Is he going to come in? And that two minutes was a pretty long two minutes. I mean, we Did were just kind of like sitting around going, okay, 
Here, here's the deal. Yeah, I mean, she said, like, I'm doing everything I could to, to really, like, make sure she beat you. So we were, like, we were expecting you to come right around the corner. Yeah. yeah. And when you didn't, we were like, what yeah. is everything she could do? No, but what I was just kind of jogging and walking <laughs> at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and then you hit the bottom of it. <laughs> oh, damn, it's another hill. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uphill finish. You, yeah, you run into the camp. It's, and it's not like it's a mountain. It's a little... Oh yeah, it's, it's, a little, but it's a berm. Right. <laughs> but, and Horton, who had given me a hard, hard time all day, when I came up that hill, was totally congratulated. He said something, "Thou shalt win." Yeah. And I didn't understand what he said at first, so he repeated it for me. And then, you know, he said, "You know, he was." I can't remember his words exactly, but he's he, like, he recognized. You he was came, like, "You really you came back strong." You came said. back strong. You really turned that race around. And, uh, Uh you know, basically he thought I was, you know, fading and dying after age five, you know, after I'd gotten caught by people and was fighting for 10th place from there on, I I basically wasn't a fade. Um, yeah, just one person ahead of me faded harder and dropped out. But still slipping in under 13 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he told me that was a great time and so that was nice. And so the winner, the guy that was on course record pace at age seven with 20 miles left, he left that on course record pace. He missed course record by three minutes. Yeah. So he finished 1048, yeah. 54. So he lost three minutes over that 20 miles um, on, on the course record. Right. Which, I mean, your pacing, I you know, I didn't do actually that math, but so he was at 714 and you were at. 8.52, he finished at 10.48, and you finished at 13. The only thing I can, um, I looked at in comparison was his split over the last section was one hour almost exactly, mm-hmm. I think, and mine was 103. Yep. Which means, it's, you know, if he's running a course record pace at that point, yep. and we're basically even for that last six miles. Yeah, I mean, he had 138 on you at 7, and then he ended up with 2, what's this, 209 on you at the end. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, you didn't lose much, you know, over a guy that maintained a pretty steady pace. So, yeah, you know, and when you came in, you were like, um, I don't know, you didn't want to run up that hill. <laughs> and I mean it's it's thirty yards up a hill. You didn't yep. want to do it, but but you did it. Yeah. You ran up that and yeah. almost immediately started limping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was pretty wiped at that point and I think partly because of the lack of sleep. Yeah. You know. Oh, I yeah. just threw it everything else off and the lack of food and energy. Yeah, and then we couldn't even crack open a proper celebratory beer right. at that point. The finish is at a Christian camp, and Horton said there was no open drinking allowed, so yeah. we just had to pat yeah. it. But that was no big deal. And Nobody so, made a big deal out of it. No, and so the one guy finished, right? And he was like, he was a um, a foreign guy, and he stopped, and he was like, uh, and he's just he's exhausted. He's leaning on his knees, and Horton goes, "That was a great race. Can I get you something?" And he goes, "You got a beer." And Horton's like, no, sir, don't like it. Got anything else you need, though? (laughs) (laughs) Was that before me? No, it was right after me. It was right right after. Because there weren't that many 
people before me who were foreign, just that yeah. French guy. Yeah, it was like a little French bit French guy, after, a bunch yeah. of Virginians, and then me. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't see the French guy after he had finished. Uh-huh. Most of the people that came in before you looked like they were ready to do jumping jacks and calisthenics. Just yeah. <laughs> so strange. That That's the thing that shocked me so much. Everybody... It almost got, if they weren't wearing their nano puff jackets, it would be hard to tell who had run the race. I mean, they all look so fresh. They, they all look so good. And then yeah. the, the one thing, the surprising thing, I've probably said this like five times, but nobody else has heard me say it except for you guys. Um, the second place female that finished as she's running up that 30 yard finish line, he's like, how many hundreds did you run this year? And she like counts on her fingers. She's like 10. And uh, and he's like ten, and she goes, yeah, but I won eight of them, and two of them were outright. Oh, Jesus! And so I'm like, she ran she ran ten hundred milers this year. Yeah, you know, just capping off the year with a second place at Hellgate. Wow. Yeah. You know, so I mean, what it seemed like everybody there, those miles were nothing to them. I mean, not nothing, but you know, sort of run of the mill. Right. Yeah, no, I have a lot of respect for those runners down there. I mean, one, those mountains are are bigger than what we encounter here. Um, I guess if you if you lived in the Adirondacks and trained there, you could get the same size mountains. But the, the, I mean, they're up above four thousand feet. They have up and down thousand to two thousand foot climbs all the time so those guys and you know that was it was kind of nice to hear at one point and at the finish again but just the guys that that group of guys from virginia who passed me they were just like i mean they, they have if you think you're in virginia it's southern light it's not they have full-on draws and they're like damn boy you're running <laughs> up these hills pretty good <laughs> for a guy who doesn't live in the mountains it's, you know yeah um so that was it was pretty nice Yep. to get respect from them and and then so you had the you had the um Horton gave you the the compliment of you came back you yep. came back really and that was a strong run and he, yep. he's like he's like oh under 13 hours yeah you know and then um after that then he came up to you and said well you're 10th place so you get the last available jacket right <laughs> so all they had left of the 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 top 10 jackets was a size large unfortunately so like oh i just ran all this way and now i'm gonna get a jacket that doesn't fit me at all i was really concerned that you might pick the nano puff because i know how you feel about your clothes fitting you know (laughs) (laughs) i gotta show off my my (laughs) physique right yeah but no you got yourself a nice blue um uh embroidered hellgate jacket green it's green green. yeah why did i say blue i don't know uh, that's I was looking at. I'm looking at blue over here. Yeah, I dropped it off my tailor this Hardy, week. They're Hardy gonna. was wearing a blue Hellgate jacket mm. all day. Mm. Blue is in my head. I don't okay. know why I thought no, it was it's green. Like a forest green. Nice. Green's yeah. better. And we'll see how it and looks when it. <laughs> and a, a hat. hat. Yeah. So this is not a a low frills hat, or low frills race, I should say. Um. It it's not cheap, but you get. Socks, a shirt, a hat. Yeah, not only socks. Socks with flames yes. on them. Let's let's get down. Hellgate there. socks. They're uh, dry max socks with flames and the Hellgate mm-hmm. logo embroidered on them. And I I was trying to describe your hat to Summer, and I was like, it's one of these hats. With, and so I had to draw her a picture because I couldn't think of the name of it. And she goes, oh, like a conductor hat. And uh-huh. I'm like, 
I'm like, yeah, but it's got a zipper. <laughs> it's got a little pouch for you to, you know, put your stuff in. <laughs> put your stuff in it, man. Um, and then, it, and then, shirt. top ten, yeah, and you get a shirt for finishing, right? Um, all or a shirt for signing up. All finishers get a Houdini jacket, right? So that's um that's a good hundred and fifty dollars of swag right there. Yeah, the swag is very good. Yeah, and it's a hundred and eighty dollar race. Yeah. I think the hat was only this year that he had said. Right. This is the first time. But the socks, a shirt, a nano puff jacket for the top 10, or a Houdini for just the regular old finisher under 18 hours. Right. Not to mention under 17 hours, you get a Western States ticket. Yep. So not all too so bad. that's taken care of. My Western States ticket for next year is taken care of. Right. And you figure a race that's that distance you're going to pay between 100 and 150 100 would be really cheap 150 would be probably normal twisted branch was 100 last year right. was by all accounts really cheap yeah has now realigned and is at 150 this year right and then you absorb that difference in price in a patagonia jacket that's mm-hmm. worth more than that yeah you know so if you're fast so enough. it's not bad if you're fast, well, even enough. if you're not fast enough, the Houdini is a, the Houdini a really is a useful nice jacket. jacket. Oh, it's a nice, I love my Houdini. It's a yep. nice jacket. So, so there you go. And then uh, we sat around. You ate a sandwich, took a shower. Yeah. Um, we sat around the finish line, not drinking beer. Yep. And then we had to uh, make an hour drive. Right. We drove north. Now, now to Staunton, from, which turns I learned later that the town we stayed in is the closest town to Grindstone 100. Uh-huh. So if you wanted to go down and do the grindstone one, that would be the closest place to get a hotel room. Huh. Well, yeah. and so if if people are keeping score, no Jamie, Jamie ran 13 hours for a race that started at midnight. So that's 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. the next day. Then he had to take a shower, eat a sandwich, um, sit around for a bit. So at 2.30, we are now up for 34, right. 35 hours. And we get to make an hour drive back to the hotel. Right. Which puts us an hour closer to home. Yeah. But, but considering we could have all slept on the grass right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this would be an appropriate time to point out how amazing it was to have a five, a four-person crew who's willing to drive nine hours and then stay up all night long. That was fun. Through the night. <laughs> yeah. They're all here too. Um, we can yeah. give them all credit. It was Ron, Chris, Jeff Green, and Laura who've been kind of hanging out in the background, not not saying a lot. Watching Chris go through his first all-nighter since like high school was quite yeah. entertaining. I, I didn't pull many all-nighters even in college. No, I just yeah. I got the work done early, so I didn't have to stay up. I That's was there were points where Ron and I did the you know Ron and I were in one car and Jeff and Laura were in another. I'm sure their car had like rainbows and fairies dancing around and little unicorns singing songs. Our car was like um, us understanding that each one was each person was tired and um, we did a very grumpy good job. and tired. No, I don't think we were grumpy at all. We were we were um, focused. Yeah, we were ignoring the parts um, where the other person was lacking and, <laughs> and fixing those, icing over those. Okay, we were very focused on on the job. Um, but that the sleep that I did at eight two was or at eight three was extremely important. 
Um, I didn't even sleep. I just closed my eyes. Yeah. And then, yeah, delusions set in around 8, 8 or so. I don't know what happened. At Boblet's Gap, I just, I was telling Ron earlier, I just gave up. I'm like, whatever. Whatever happens, happens. And, you know, like a fall <laughs> off the cliff. I don't, it doesn't matter. Whatever. I'm right. gonna, not going to get any less tired. Yeah. But it, it was really, it was fun um, doing the whole, it's nighttime, somebody's running, and I'm not, you know, and it was like, how could he still be running? And he's still running. And he's still <laughs> running. That was fun. From a cruise perspective, though, it is hell of fun to drive at three o'clock in the morning on a Blue Ridge Parkway road. <laughs> yeah, Ron, Ron just that. Ron just kept saying, "Wee, this <laughs> this all wheel drive. Oh my god, this all wheel drive is so nice." <laughs> it's probably a good thing you didn't bring your motorcycle. That I heard was Chris the whole time. Whoa, don't look down. <laughs> Yeah, because I kept trying to look at the phone and read the the directions, and Ron would go down like a dip and turn a corner, and I, it was like I was on a, a you know um, carnival ride. Uh-huh. It was weird. Um, but then we made it back to the hotel, and it was almost insta crash. Right? Like, yeah. It was pretty much. It felt pretty bad that like one on the ride back to the hotel, I was in no shape to do anything so i just want to lay down in the back again the, the, and make you, you guys drive another you hour you just ran for 13 hours and i then don't know why you would, we got the to the hotel and i checked in at the front desk it was in my name and i just felt immediately this wave of if i'm standing up for another minute more i'm gonna fall over yeah and maybe possibly vomit so <laughs> i'm not carrying anything out of the car i'm getting in that yeah elevator as soon as possible and laying down on a bed yeah and like uh, you guys carried all the all my bags in and I well felt pretty th- i mean honestly that's, about that that's the whole but... no that's the whole reason for <laughs> it you just ran 13 hours through the middle of the night that that was yeah. the whole reason for us you going. guys stayed up so yeah so then um it was instant nap i think like three hours maybe yep. and then dinner yep burritos for most people Yep. <laughs> some of us some of us go to clearly identifiable burrito places in order to make cheeseburgers. <laughs> um and then and um, gelato. And gelato afterwards. Yep. And then back for um crash More crashing. Timing. Yep. Yeah. A little bit of a little light recovery in terms of a little uh yeah. <laughs> stim for me and laying around, but I think we're pretty much passed out. Except yeah. for uh, Laura and Jeff. Yeah, who went out for a, you know, a seven so, mile run on no sleep at all. So Laura and Jeff didn't have the first crash time. They <laughs> right. were like, "Whatever, squares, we're out of here." And I don't they think it was seven miles, and then oh, they right. magically appeared in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't hear them creep back in, and they just hovered over us, watching us sleep. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> no, they're not here. We're here. Oh. <laughs> All right, and then the ride back, the good times. Oh yeah, the ride back. So the so the question is, are you going back to Hellgate? Oh, so that's yeah, that's oh well, I'm not going to make any decisions now. Okay, so I can, I'm, I'm not. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you how my thinking went during the race. It was like, no way, no, I do not need to do this race ever again in my life. And in fact. I'm not sure I need to do any more ultra running in my life ever again. Um, or at least I'm going to take next year off. Blah, blah, blah. These are all the thoughts that, you know, between 
35 and, and 50 miles are going through my head. By the time 50 miles had passed, no thoughts were going through my head other than like, let's just get to the finish. Is there a guy coming up behind you? Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, in the middle of the section of the race, I just thought, no, this is, why the hell did you sign up for this? This is the stupidest sport in the world. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Now, a few days out, <laughs> a week out, um, within a few days, you know, the regret of not racing as hard as I could have down that last few miles kicked in and like, oh, I could have passed that woman. I could have come in 10th overall and not even, and now just realizing, knowing the course, training a little bit better, pacing myself a little bit better in the early miles. I know I could run closer to 12 hours. Um, I don't know if I could hit 12 hours, but I could certainly go under 1230, I think on that, on that course. Um, so it's tempting to go back, but I don't know that I'll rush back down <laughs> to do it this year. The, I would, if I, if it was a local race, I would, uh, yeah, I'd say, yes, I'll go do it again. But the, the, the trouble of having to drive that far, um, you know, if everybody is, is game to go down as crew again, that'd be great but I don't you know things came together great this year and I don't expect everybody's going to have the free time and the willingness to do it again well I think I think that you know I mean one thing is you know we do we did that because we wanted to and we yeah. like that kind of experience I do think the whole idea of combating the sleep deprivation piece uh, like imagine I mean the locals had so many advantages over you right you know and imagine if you could have been like oh I'm going to wake up I'm going to do some stuff. I'm going to take an afternoon nap and then stroll on down to Camp Bethel. Yeah. Like just in, down there on a Thursday. So you right. Call Friday just to right. So up. imagine if you went down a day earlier. Yeah. I think that makes that, that whole experience so much different. Yep. So, you know, there's considerations. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like though, if I went to go down there again, I'd be doing it as crew. I don't, I don't actually think I have, an inclination to run that race. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't know why I don't. Uh-huh. I mean, I already have a Patagonia jacket, maybe. Oh, who do you need? Maybe that's why. Yeah. For me, I'd run it on a year like this year. Right. <laughs> yeah. I really that's the problem. You're not going to get that guarantee. Yeah. It was ahead of time. It was actually zero degree run. Yeah. So like it was plus possible. Three, plus three. Yeah. Not for most of the race, but well, at least to finish that way. Yeah, hours. it finished at 72 degrees. Yep. Wow. I finished in a pair of shorts. December 13th. No, no shirt, shirt. No shirt. And I was perfectly comfortable for a little while after crossing the line. Yeah. Until you had to get those nano puffs around you. Until <laughs> <laughs> my body started to be like, okay, you have zero blood sugar left in your... <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, you still finished with a girl's name, doctor. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And that, my friends, is how the story of Hellgate is told by a man who is eh, about a week removed away from the pain and suffering and exhaustion and victory and triumph and all those things. But it just so happens that because I happen to be down with Mr. Hobbs uh, in Virginia, um, I and the crew, 
we schlepped the recording gear down to Virginia with us and got some post post race interview at the source um, mere hours after the race was completed. So here's a few minutes. Jamie Hobbs laying prone in his hotel room bed, uh, regaling us with a not um, so energetic rendition of the story. Uh, hope you enjoy this one too. So, Jamie Hobbs, you just ran Hellgate on a seventy-degree day in December. How are you feeling? Are you running? Oh yeah. Go All right. Ahead. All right. <laughs> um, I'm feeling like I got run over. Um, you know, I'm I'm lying in a bed right now with tens units attached to me, uh, <laughs> drinking a beer, feeling like I have very little energy. We, uh, as you know, we got done and completely sleep deprived and had to take a little midday nap and now feel totally disoriented, but uh, I'm still exhausted after the nap and looking forward to bed. Um, main issues are just the same thing you'd expect to feel after any long race, fatigue and muscle soreness and so forth. My feet are especially sore. Um, and uh, I think I'm just a little more fatigued because of the addition of running all night long and not getting a lot of sleep beforehand. Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the special one here <laughs> that we we woke up at. I got up at six a.m. I'm yeah. sure you were up some somewhere right around, around there, there between right? six and seven. Yeah, and yeah. then Ron came over to your house and we left at what nine twenty? Yep, a little after nine. Nine twenty ish. For a nine-hour ride, All right? Nine-hour ride, one uh, forty-five minutes of rest stops. Yeah, you did a little, I guess, resting. I mean, I laid down in the back seat for a while, but I never managed to actually get any sleep. Right. So the full, you had a full work day, a commute right. in a yeah. car. Yeah, and you were really antsy. And then we get there, and we get there like right around packet pickup, and it's time for dinner. Yep. So that's weird, right? Like a lot of times you don't want to eat a big meal before you're going to yeah. go run 100K. And they're serving you a full-on full on dinner. Right. And I wasn't sure what, how much to eat or what to eat and whether. But I kind of, I guess I just decided, well, everybody else is eating and we still have hours before the race starts. Mm-hmm. So I'll digest. It'll at least be out of my stomach or you know, be processed enough that I should be able to run. Right. And I think, that, I think to me that's what's so tiring because normally you get to wake up eat a little something and all your energy goes to running right your energy went to commuting yeah and it was a nice place it was really quiet though so like whatever energy you had now you had to like ratchet it down right right and then that pre-race anxiety yeah but you're trying to ratchet it down because they actually provided an area for people to to try to get some sleep before the race yep and so Um, you're up 18 hours and now you're gonna go run. Yeah, I guess that's right. Is it eighteen hours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, six AM right. to six AM to midnight. Right. Yep. And then it's time to run. And so yeah, that's I think the yeah, exhaustion yeah. the exhaustion is real. Right. But the other part is you got to finish during the daylight. Yeah, that was nice. Uh the people who are out there 
the cutoff for the race is 18 hours so the people who might have been up for 18 hours and then running for 18 hours mm. you can't imagine how exhausted they are um, oh my yeah that so that's me right? right that that's what what i would have been if i would have ran this race yeah i would have been up for 18 i would have finished between if i finished because uh-huh. <laughs> because um we'll get into some of the stories of why i may not have finished um but uh, say I finish around four, four p.m. It's like a hard rock run, you know. It's yeah. like thirty-six hours. You're not on your feet for all of it because you're driving some, but it's the same amount yeah. of time. We were working. we were all Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> background stuff. Live recorded live studio audience. The, yeah. mo- the impressive part was that Ron managed not to swear out loud. <laughs> He's the master of his craft. <laughs> wow, you're all right, Ron. Okay. All right, we'll edit all this stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, those cots. I'm not sure what to do about those ends of those cots. I carry foam balls. What's that? Yeah. Or uh, tennis balls. Well, that one is long because you need the lever to actually ratchet it. But I think tennis balls. Well, you can cut these in. <laughs> I could, but I would never get it back on then. But anyways, sorry. We're talking about a cot. <laughs> a cot and Ron. Ron cot. Which is where I tried to sleep before the race. <laughs> Ron <On> cot. <laughs> In the quiet room. Yep. And the quiet room was the quiet room was nice actually. It I was thought, nice. I thought people until, were really respectful. Until about ten o'clock when the door in and out of the building started opening and closing nonstop and uh, it was banging loud and someone's alarm accidentally went off and so on, you know. Yeah. And so as as you were running like through the night, you know, and, and again, I think we'll, we'll focus this little piece on the aftermath as you okay. lay in your hospital bed here <laughs> with your beers and your, your electrodes attached to you. Um, were you. Were you at all thinking like, boy, it would be great for a nap or was, was sleep not like at all in your mind? No, sleep was not in my mind. It wasn't like I thought I would wanted a nap in the middle of the race. And that, you know, I do think the fatigue had some background effect. It may have affected my thinking at various points in the race, who knows, but I wasn't for 99% of the race I was not thinking oh, I'm I'm really sleep deprived or oh, I really need to go to sleep. It's and, just now afterwards, right? Yeah. Right. As soon as I crossed the line, I was more exhausted than I think I normally would have been. Yeah. The drive, the drive, our drive, like it's a great thing <laughs> that we have. So we left there. I don't even know what time we left there. Two o'clock? 2.30-ish. Yeah, 2.30-ish. The hour drive towards home to come to this particular hotel is a great idea because we got one less hour to go home. Yep. But that that was you guys, not, everyone was barely staying awake in the car. <laughs> that was yeah. not a great so drive. So when we talk about me being fatigued, we also talk about you guys staying up all night long to help me out. Um, yeah, which involved a lot of time. I'm sure driving and figuring logistics out, but some time had to be sitting around and not, you know, just waiting to see what happens. 
Yeah, and right. I tried to do a lot of just closing my eyes, not uh-huh. necessarily sleeping, but just close. I got to the point where I was really sensitive to the headlamps and the headlights. Uh-huh. We had a lot of headlights coming. Yeah, in headlights would be. I can understand that would be. It. And so I was just like just closing my eyes, you know, and um, that helped I think. Uh-huh. But this ride back to the hotel was. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I'm glad it was over. That was that was not small. We didn't drive off the road. And no crash. I I had very precious cargo yeah. in the car. So now you got you got the tired quads. You got these sore balls of your feet. Yeah. You got the extreme sleep exhaustion. Yep. We got a giant burrito in you though. Oh wait, you got the fish tacos That's and the enchilada. Right. Yep. That was helpful. I find my energy level fluctuating a bit because, like, I'll feel okay and want to go out for dinner. And then I immediately after we ate, I was just like, oh, I want to go back and lay down in bed. You know, just um, if we want to talk about the other things that are going on, I think the quads are more wrecked than normal just because the sheer amount of climbing it was. Is it 12,000? I got 12 and a half, I think, yeah. on my GPS. I've seen other measurements of 13. Um, probably 12 and a half was probably accurate i think and it's just the ton of long climbs and that it just ends after you've run well i already had 100k on my watch before the last section the last section is another thousand foot climb up over a couple miles followed by over a thousand i think over a thousand feet of descent three miles steady down into the on runnable road so you can hammer down it if you had the legs left to do it um and so the two things that are affecting me are my quads and my the balls of my feet both of which are the biggest impact areas for running down that hill and it was just brutal and you had said that um the downhills were really rough at at about the halfway point you're like the downhills are just killing me but it doesn't seem like um doesn't seem like your your knees are too bad it's just really all quads mm-hmm. the the roughness of the ones that the last one was um you know dirt and then gravel road so it was very runnable a lot of the downhills were on technical trail and they were more killing me because it was so rocky and my quads were starting to get tired and it was hard to to control what you were doing Right, just um, muscle, just fatigued. Yeah, and now and just, you're just the banging, banging down the trail. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, my knees. I had no knee pain other than knee pain caused by taking a fall and landing on my knee, um, which didn't have lasting ramifications. It just hurt at the time. <laughs> so, yeah, you had when you were coming, you had. We saw your headlamp coming down into a five, five, and um, then we didn't see because we were like, yeah. this, this should be him, and yeah. then we didn't see your headlamp anymore. And if you could see it, I don't know how it looked, but at that point, I was moving pretty quick down that mm-hmm. uh, yep. grassy road descent into that aid station. And what happened was, I was preparing to jump over a little log across the, the trail, and there were a bunch of other smaller branches and sticks laying in front of it and i caught one of them with my toe caused me to stumble and land on that log instead of jump over it and uh so at about four (laughs) in the morning you have the balls to be running down the hill jumping over logs yeah that's pretty 
and and we were we were getting to know sort of it, it's really interesting how you can do this but and I'm sure people who've gone to a lot of night runs you can start to learn the cadence of someone's headlamp yeah you know so we were i was like at first i was like oh that one's not that one's not hobbs he doesn't have enough it's got too much bounce and not enough swagger uh-huh and then you came through and i'm like okay that's how much swagger he has right now <laughs> there was um in the opening section, there was a guy who, who passed me and was just ahead of me on this long road climb, and he, he must have finished up in the the top few, I think. Um, I think his name was Brad. I don't know. He's a local guy who's finished up in the top before, but his headlamp he, it was so distinctive watching him up against in the road ahead of me, because he's totally moved off to the side with each step he took. He like, he must have turned his body or his head like way to the right every time unevenly and it was just bizarre because i could see my headlamp in front of me and it looked you know obviously it's moving around but it's pretty much steady right in front of me and his was swinging back and forth side to side with every step yeah so it, i know what you mean and it's really hard to um sometimes run in the headlamps of others oh yeah you know and so i can't i'm just thinking of what a nighttime 50k was i mean that's what you essentially had was a nighttime 50k uh, a little more, yeah. Because yeah. I was so, beyond thirty thirty-one so when the sun in, came up. Were you in a lot of, at the beginning? You were in a lot of headlamps, like the first, you know, ten miles or yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. But for most of the time, I was running alone, or you know, I would run side by side with somebody for a couple miles, but it wasn't very. So did you get like you know, con- keeping with the aftermath theme? Did you find that your eyes were getting tired by like you know five o'clock in the morning or so? I did feel like after a few hours of night running and part of it was just some windiness, I felt like my eyes were getting irritated a little bit and I don't know if it was having to focus so much and having to Hellgate keep them open. Eyes. And, yeah, I was like, hmm, am I going to get Hellgate eyes? Um, or, you know, I sometimes have had dry eye problems in the past where I've had to use eye drops on a semi-regular basis. I haven't had that issue in a while. Um, but, uh, I thought, oh, maybe I should have brought some of my eye drops down because my eyes are going to feel irritated soon. But then it kind of got better as I went on. Um, I didn't feel, uh, that they were fatigued later in the race or anything like that. And so other than that, I mean, we, we sort of started at the bottom and worked up to the top. (laughs) You had mentioned that you, um, you know, the side stitch from twisted branch and that you wouldn't be able to bound down the hills, but then you're saying that you're dropping sixes at, you know, the end of the race. Yeah. You know, I actually didn't become too much of a problem. Uh, there were a few places on some of the descents where I had that sort of abdominal pain that I've had before that makes it hard to run all out on a downhill but i found that as on a couple of descents if i kept it just a notch below where i felt like i really could run that didn't bother me and you know then down that last downhill when i was hitting top speed and hitting sub sevens going downhill it did be, i mean like i'd have to back off a little bit and i wanted to back off because it hurt so much so it wasn't a, it wasn't that big of a problem it only would have been a problem if the next guy behind me was breathing down my neck. <laughs> I would have had to make a decision about how much pain I wanted to tolerate. 
And so you sort of have like you can sort of hear and you're talking. You have a little bit of shortness of breath. Is oh, yeah. that is that just plain old exhaustion or is it just? Um, I don't know. I'm a little. My nose is a little stuffed up, and it was during the beginning of the race. I noticed, and I was a little worried that I coming into the race that I was starting to get a cold. Um, it doesn't feel worse now. Uh, but yeah, I spent most of the first um, half of the race uh doing <laughs> this is a little <laughs> more than people might want to know here about but you know baseball. doing farmers blows and like yeah. just having constant uh runny nose and stuff and uh maybe you gotta like, work all that stuff out you know i don't know why but i can feel my nose is stuffed up now so maybe that's causing yeah. some of the shortness yeah well i think that's i think i think we've done a full assessment yeah. <laughs> top to bottom <laughs> <laughs> if anybody wants to hear more about my snots just let me know how how are your hair follicles or your elbows you know like, um, i mean i it's interesting because you know we talk about um after laurel we talked about boy you know would you have felt because we were talking about how you felt afterwards you know like well now i'm a week removed i don't know if i would if i would tell you that this hurt or that hurt so now yeah. we're getting this pretty close to the yep. source you know i mean we had yep. dinner so you can't say oh i'm starving but that everything else it seems like we've done a full assessment i was starving right after the race i could tell you that like after um i went inside to go they have showers there i went inside to get a shower and i realized if i don't eat something immediately i'm gonna like start shivering from low blood sugar and yeah. you know be a wreck so yeah yeah that was uh we that was a weird finish line celebration, I think. And I don't think we got to celebrate the finish line properly, <laughs> but it was fun, you know. Yeah. Um and you had the you had the sandwich and then we went off and took our nap after yep. surviving the drive home. Got up, had some Mexican. Yep. Yeah. Margarita. I had a margarita. Had to had to get your salt and electrolytes yeah. back in balance. Yeah, and a little sugar, a little salt. Yeah. It seemed good. Now, I know it sounds like that bonus coverage ended rather abruptly, but trust me, you're not missing anything. I think right after that sentence, uh, Jamie fell asleep and started snoring uh, promptly. So, um, I just thought we thought it would be neat to get a little something right after the race. Um, but that concludes our uh, bonus coverage for Hellgate, and um, that'll wrap up Jamie's uh, thrilling adventures. Now, um. As this uh, episode is being released, uh, you know, many of us are just hitting our stride in this new year, 2016. And, you know, a lot of times we like to do retrospectives of 2015, but um, I, I'm really always kind of excited for the new year, you know. Um, and why? I, I, don't, I don't really know. I think it's just because the new year brings exciting new opportunities, you know, new days, new challenges, and, and really... Uh, a whole new calendar full of running and racing days, and and isn't really isn't that what it's that's what it's all about. So, heading into 2016, we get to watch our uh, beloved little podcast grow as well, which is a nice little treat for me. You know, we're about seven months old now, so we're gonna get to see uh, our little podcast crawl its way out of diapers and toddle its way onto two little feet. Yeah, I uh, I expected to. Uh, to be borrowing the car and talking back to me by 
by episode 40. These things happen quickly, as if my experience is anything to go on. But um, keeping with this, this uh, strained metaphor, um, we have a new addition to the family. Uh, relax, not, not, the, uh, not the personal family, um, but our, uh, our communal, running inside-out family. If you haven't heard already, uh, Kendra Chamberlain and I are um, hosting a new radio show called aptly uh, Running Inside Out, the radio show. It's pretty catchy, right? Um, I thought of it myself. <laughs> Go figure. Um, but that's right. It's a, it's a real live, over-the-air talk show. Uh, it's a little bit different than the podcast in that we'll be picking topics each week and we'll be discussing them with each other. So we'll have like back and forth and you'll get to hear how Kendra and I are so very different. Um, and oh, it's live. You know, and oh, it's on the radio, actual factual, like, you know, over the airwaves, uh, in your car stereo and, uh, you know, all that jazz. Um, uh-huh. so, uh, it'll be during your Monday commute or, you know, just in time for your arrival at home. Um, it's, uh, every other Monday, six to six thirty on 104.3. FM, that's a Wayo, W-A-Y-O, and you can also stream it at wayofm.org. Um, and if you miss it, we'll have them archived online for streaming afterwards. I'll put all this information in the show notes, and there will be a uh, radio show webpage on the podcast running inside out podcast.com webpage. Whew, that's a lot. Um, all right. So there, there's the addition to our family, and there's the uh, radio show, 6 to 6.30, every other Monday. Um, if you're not sure which Monday it is, um, it starts with the January 11th Monday, even though we've had two practice episodes. Our most recent episode was aptly about goal setting. So, you know, being a new year, you might want to check that one out. Um, okay. And now, let's see, what else? Oh, uh, I mentioned the show being about seven months old at this point. And um, over the course of those seven months in the 2015, I've had amazing support from the entire running community to really get this thing uh, up and um, <laughs> up and running. Um, not only to get it started, but also to keep it going and to improve it. The encouragement, the feedback, the participation... And, uh, you know, even the, the financial support has really helped me sort of, if you go back and listen to episode one and then listen to this episode or even the one before it, um, the financial support from listeners has helped me really up the equipment. And so I hope to, um, see more of that in the, uh, coming year as well. Um, really this, this show is large part. It's my big thank you to the running community. And even greater, um, thank you to everyone that has supported me. Um, I'm really confident of the upcoming year and where we're going to go with it. We have a lot of great things planned for 2016 and some really ambitious goals. So I look forward to uh, sharing them with everyone. If you uh, still have some of that giving spirit left over, and you want to help the show reach some of those ambitious financial growth goals for 2016, um, stop over to the support the show link on the website. It's, uh, you know, again, 
runningintsideoutpodcast.com, and you'll see support the show right there in the middle. Feel free to make a contribution, Patreon, or the uh, one-time donation link. Those things are really going to help us stretch where we want to go. And I'll be providing people with some more uh, concrete details as the year comes along. So, um, yeah, new year, new opportunities, new fun. Pretty excited about all these things. Yep, okay. Thank you for listening in uh, 2015, and I look forward to having you and your adventures on an episode in 2016. So get out there and create some new stories. Until then, be thankful for what you've been given, be proud of what you've achieved, and let go of what you've lost. See you out there.